Listen up. Listen up. Listen up. For the next hour, we'll be talking about the things we need to be talking about now. Tonight, covering the issue of ice use in our community. Simulcast across Western Australia on the Southern Cross Australia Network. This is Listen Up with Pete Corelli and Tash Povey. Uh, look, over the next hour, we're going commercial free. This is about as serious as it gets. We're going to be talking about drug and ice addiction in WA, methamphetamine use and the like. And we invite you to join the conversation as well with the hashtag ListenUpWA. As I mentioned, we're going to be talking about ice addiction. We're going to be talking about how it affects families and yourself. And of course, uh, the different things that you can do to deal with it by being joined by a whole heap of guests. To kick things off now, we've got Timothy Marnie. He's the Commissioner of the Mental Health Commission. Hello. G'day. How are you? Very good. Thank you very much for coming in today. No worries. Pleasure to be here. Uh, Tim, we hear so often, and I don't know if this is perpetuated by the media, and it goes around and around and around, and everybody talks about it. It just seems like methamphetamine is here, it's there, it's everywhere. It can't be stopped, and nobody's doing anything about it, but that's not the case. No. Well, firstly, it's not everywhere. It's not a normal thing to do. It's actually very unusual for people to use meth on a regular basis. Um, and the state government's approach to methamphetamine use is fairly comprehensive and it's aligned with the national drug strategy as well. And there's three basic arms to that approach. Firstly is demand reduction, basically to prevent the uptake or delay the onset of use of methamphetamine. Secondly, supply reduction to prevent, stop and disrupt supply. And thirdly, where people do use to try and reduce the harm from that use in terms of adverse health, social and economic consequences. So WA Police have a, a meth enforcement plan, which I think many people are well aware of, which is focused on the supply side. And the Mental Health Commission has uh, campaigns in place to um, focus on the demand side and reduce demand. Uh, in particular, we launched uh, late last year a new drug, drug aware campaign that actually tells the real stories about methamphetamine use um, and traces back um, to early onset of methamphetamine use and what that looks like and then where it ends up and oh. the consequences of that. I suppose you better than anyone else would be able to explain exactly what that damage is and how, and how it affects just, you know, one person out there dealing with this. Well, it doesn't affect one person. I think that's the biggest element of the damage. It affects everyone around them. So... You know, the, the common sentiment you get is is people uh, often living a pretty good life, decent job, earning decent money, uh, losing their job, losing their house, cars, uh, wife, kids, you know, just losing everything, basically. They might be self-medicating. Uh, for some people, it's an overall just lack of hope and despair in their circumstance. And the only way to deal with that circumstance is to escape it through substance use. It's, it's a whole range of different issues. In, in some circumstances, it's, um, you know, it's just that it's all around them. So um, a lot of people out there in the community are saying that they don't think there's anything available to them and they can't find services. Where, where do they go? Okay, well, the Mental Health Commission actually purchases services across the state for people to get help. Um, in fact, we spend about $60 million, $66 million a year on services in relation to treatment. And these include... Uh, 11 community alcohol and drug services throughout WA with presence in more than 25 communities and often outreach, outreaching into regional and remote areas. So they're a community-based uh, treatment team that people can go to to get ongoing support and treatment. In 
uh, more significant cases, there is also a dozen residential rehab services available across the state with around 350 beds available for residential rehab. A lot of those services don't have a wait list. So they're there, they're ready to go. Um, the best way to access those services, again, is through the alcohol and drug support line, and they will provide direction as to someone's, you know, in distress with uh, their own use or someone else's use. They'll provide guidance as to whether or not they should go to the community alcohol and drug service that's most proximate to them, or what sort of rehab service they should contact to address those issues. While we're on the topic, we might have somebody listening who's thinking to themselves, all right, the alcohol and drug support line, have you got the details there? Uh, yes, I do have the phone number and it is 089-442-5050. Uh, that's for the parent support line. For the uh, alcohol and drug support line, the number is 089-442-5000. Timothy Marnie, the Commissioner of Mental Health Commission, thank you very much. Thank you. This is Listen Up with Pete Corelli and Tash Povey. It's Listen Up with Tash and Pete. We're talking about methamphetamine use in WA and we're currently joined by Carol Dawes, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Cyrenian House Alcohol and Other Drug Treatment Services. Hello. Hello, Pete. And also by Patty, who's the Coordinator of Parent and Family Services Mental Health Commission. Hello. Hi. Thanks for coming in, ladies. That's all right. Pleasure. Uh, Carol, let's start with you because we're going to talk about how meth affects users, if you'd like to begin. Well, meth's obviously a stimulant drug that uh, has a direct effect on the brain and the central nervous system, and it has a uh, it has the impact of um, increased euphoria, um, heightened um, mood, um, and, uh, and agitation. It could also create anxiety and a number of mental health issues as well. That uh, as people progress through the use of it, if they continue to use, what kind of people do you see coming through your facility? Um, I think meth doesn't discriminate. It, it actually impacts on people from all walks of life. I think it's a, it's a fallacy that it's the park bench person that is out there using meth, and you know it's uh, it's not like that at all. There are professional people that use methamphetamines. There are, there are kids that are you know going through uh, that period in their life where they're trying different things. It's a very social drug, um, and so, it, you know there are all range of users, and and we only you know we're only talking about the ones that present for treatment. And obviously, if you're presenting for treatment, you've experienced a number of perhaps negative impacts of the use of the drug. So depending on, you know, what sort of people you are, you might want to present for a, for a treatment episode. By the time that people come to your facility, it's not just them making the decision on their own to come through. It's a lot of the time it's a full family decision where sort of it's almost like an intervention atmosphere, isn't it? Absolutely. There's a range of motivating factors. Again, I, I think I said on a, on a previous video that I've done, you know, nobody gets up one morning and says it's a nice day, I might stop using drugs today. Usually... Usually there's some level of motivation, it, whether it be legal, whether it be financial, whether it be family. Clearly the biggest one is family. Family are a huge motivating factor for people to do something about the issues once they've escalated to that, to that degree. Is it always people who are at rock bottom or do you see sort of people coming through who have just gone, you know, what, I don't want to get to that point? Yet. Oh, absolutely. A range of a range of interventions. Some people come in and they require a brief intervention. Other people come in and they require a more substantial intervention that might include residential support or, or ongoing um, counselling for a, for a period of time. Yeah. And is this counselling for full family as well, not it, just the person affected? Absolutely. It can be It can be a combination. Some people come in and they just want to deal with their meth issue and they don't want to involve their families. Other people 
will you know have big support from their families and their families will want to come in and uh, and so we have family interventions as well we are mentioning the word family a fair bit patty uh, this is where you come in uh, you you're here to talk about how meth actually affects families in general what have you seen um, well the parent and family drug support line um, is like a a frontline service really that people often contact first before they would go somewhere like Serenian or they wanting help you know and other referral options. Um, the families that ring us have a range of needs as well to be honest it might be just for basic information quite often it's because they've noticed some character change, um, behaviour change, attitude change, change of friends um, and activities uh, right through to a flashpoint you know, like a real crisis where things are really um, coming undone for people. And families are really struggling with that and they feel quite powerless and isolated and worried and afraid. There's a lot of fear that parents can and family members can experience because they don't know what's actually happening to their child or their loved one. And, um, you know, they might be scared of things getting worse, um, but they also can be afraid for themselves and their own property as if aggression does escalate and paranoia, you know, sometimes they can be quite afraid for, you know, having them even in the house. But, you know, that's, that's the pointy end of that. Sometimes it's just simply they want information and they're just not sure what's actually happening to their loved one, really. Just the last thing is, what's your advice for parents who think their children or, you know, a family member, anyone in a family mm. member who's worried or concerned for someone else, what's the advice? Where, where, where do they start? Oh, look, um, look, my advice is to, it, to get help. Um, it helps to get help. Um, evidence suggests that families that get support and help and treatment, there's always going to be better outcomes for everybody, families and the user themselves. Um, it's it's quite important because it's quite a long, hefty journey that some people might be on, and it may not be. Um, either way, it just helps to get help. That's the best advice I can give anybody. Right. Okay. Well, uh, I think this uh, this really comes down to um, you know, it, as you just mentioned there, it's it must be really handy to be able to know the signs to spot the problem in the first place. That way you can get it nice and early and you can get on the front foot in regards to how to help somebody who's dealing with drug use and drug abuse. Um, ladies, I'd just like to say thank you very much for coming in today and for, for having a chat to us here. Listen up. Tonight, covering the issue of ice use in our community. This is Listen Up with Pete Corelli and Tash Povey. This is Listen Up. It's uh, Tash Povey and Pete Corelli here. We're talking about methamphetamine use in WA. At the moment, we're currently joined by uh, Professor Daniel Fadovich. He's the Professor of Emergency Medicine at Royal Perth Hospital and UWA. And also Jim Migro from WA Police is here as well. Thank you for joining us, guys. My pleasure. Our pleasure. Um, Jim, this is the first um, that we've uh, that we've gotten you into the studio. Can you talk us through a little bit of your experience? Uh, yes, I've been in WA Police for over 40 years, background operationally, having worked in the old drug squad. I currently run an area that looks after policy for alcohol and drug issues for WA Police. Uh, and nationally, I'm the chair of the Intergovernmental Committee on Drugs, which looks after the national drug strategy. Professor Daniel, can you talk us through some of your experience as well, please? Um, so I've worked at Royal Perth Hospital Emergency Department basically for over 30 years. So I've seen the changing patterns of, uh, of drug use, both licit and illicit drugs over time. And I've seen the, the um, the effects that it's having on people. How has the drug scene in Perth changed, say, from what we were seeing in the 90s when um, party drugs and that kind of thing were, were sort of up and coming? How has it changed to now? 
Well, I'll comment on the policing side. Uh, what we're currently seeing now is a lot of meth on the street and the impacts are much greater on, on policing in the community uh, than what we'd previously seen before when, when we had heroin, which was a, a significant issue, uh, which had a lot of overdose deaths, uh, but not the type of destruction and violence that we're seeing involved with meth. And I suppose that you would both sort of work in tandem in that you're the first and second stages, I suppose, in the arrest and the treatment of these kind of people. How much of a strain is it on your resources? Policing, uh, it's really taking a, a big impact on our resources to deal with some of these people when they're affected. We just can't send two police out. Uh, it will take four or six uh, and issues don't get solved in half an hour like they do if we're just going to a, to a normal job. And then, of course, the, the impacts for, for Daniel and the medical people are even more. Yeah, well, it has a huge impact on the health system, on the emergency department. And I want to give a special shout out for the staff who work in emergency departments, who, especially also security staff, who really every day are putting themselves on the line uh, in terms of their own health and safety. And the fact that people continually keep on doing that refle reflects their extraordinary commitment to, to patient care. Daniel, we're going to talk a little bit later on in the show when we get you back about uh, the things that you see in the emergency ward. Um, but Jim, I just want to touch on when, when the police are going out to these different situations, what are some of the things that they're encountering? They're encountering uh, violence. People are irrational too. Uh, normally, police, we can resolve a lot of issues by being able to, to talk to people and negotiate and sort them out. Uh, when they're on meth, irrational, we just can't do it. And nine times out of 10, it ends up that we have to take these people into custody, one to protect them, uh, but also to protect the other people that are around. Jim, I guess also that uh, when we talk about meth, it's not just the users that we're talking about, but you guys would also have to deal with the distributors, the cooks. We used to see a lot of um, clandestine lab explosions, which obviously have a huge flow and effect for the community and, and policing forces as well. Yeah, particularly the uh, the clandestine drug laboratories. A vast majority of those that we encounter do relate to uh, meth. Uh, and of course, uh, as you said, the dangers of explosions uh, and contamination to, to innocent people. And we have issues where people are actually cooking and there's, there's children in the rooms. Children in the rooms? I just want to give that a moment to sink in because I, I just, it's just something that blows me away that something like that can even be happening. I mean, you often hear the term bandied around, you know, oh, that corner, that house on the corner there, that's the meth house, you know, that's the drug house. How often are you getting a phone call about something like that? Local police areas will be, you know, getting one or two calls a week uh, at least. And just to give you a bit of an impact on what a drug house will do to an area, did a little bit of research on two drug houses in metropolitan Perth uh, and then compared them to two houses that, that weren't meth houses. And the difference in demand on policing resources was between seven and eight times greater in relation to complaints and issues that police have to respond to. Sorry, so yeah. that's, you know, imagine if you live next door to them. Yeah, you know, it's very easy to say, we can go possibly lock some people up, but they'll be back doing it again the next day. I guess maybe on that point, I've spoken to people before who have said, you know, I think there's a house down my street, which is a meth house, but they're worried to call police because they're worried that to attract that kind of attention, it'll have effects on them. And then if nothing's done about it, or if it, you know, you can't make an arrest or anything at that time, then they're at danger by if, just alerting you. Yeah, If they're concerned, 
ring crime stoppers. Their information's treated anonymously uh, and their details will never be released to anybody. Uh, it's a very safe way and I would encourage everyone with any information at all, ring crime stoppers, it'll come through to us then and we will do something about it. This is Listen Up with Pete Corelli and Tash Povey. This is Listen Up. We're talking about methamphetamine use in WA. It's Tash Povey and Pete Corelli here. And uh, we're currently joined by Professor Steve Olsop, who's the Director of National Drug Research Institute. Thank you for coming in. Hi. How would you say methamphetamine use has sort of, I guess, evolved over the past couple of years? It seems to be something that we're talking about more and more, and it's really affecting more and more people. At first glance, it looks like a contradictory picture because clearly we've seen a significant increase in, in methamphetamine-related harms, whether you're talking about um, ambulance call-outs, uh, the problems that uh, our police might have, families, um, emergency departments. But when you look at patterns of use, um, it, it doesn't look like there's been a change in the number of people who are using methamphetamine. In Western Australia, it, it's just under 4% um, who say that they've used methamphetamine in the last year. Now, that includes people who did it once, and that includes people who do it a lot more than once. Right. Um, but what has changed is the type of methamphetamine that's being used. So people who are using um, are using a, a far more potent form in the form of ice, and they're using it more often. So... Um, we've not seen an increase in the number of users, but we're getting some new users and we're getting those who are using are using a much more potent drug and using it much more often. And that's why we're seeing a significant increase in problems. This may sound a little bit ignorant, right? Um, and it may sound like I'm, I'm judging, but I would always expect that methamphetamine would be a drug that's used in um, impoverished homes and communities. And then when you say things like, uh, you know, you've got a lot of methamphetamine use in high-end, high-skilled, high-labor jobs as well, does that surprise you? Not now, not having worked in this field for so long, no, because it's a very common phenomenon. People who are not well-connected to school, not well-connected to family, not well-connected to adults, um, people who aren't as socially competent and, and academically competent at school, who, who live in more impoverished circumstances, they are at higher risk. Um, but there are also people who come from incredibly um, privileged backgrounds, who have great opportunities, who nevertheless might try methamphetamine um, because their mates are doing it, because they're curious, um, because the nature of their job um, for them, it, it's a way of, of relaxing or, or waking up um, so that they can go out and enjoy a good time on a Friday or Saturday night. That might be how people get into it. Right. But of course, then as they become more enmeshed, as some people become much more enmeshed, then of course, um, they start losing a lot of those privileges and those opportunities and those capabilities. The thing that immediately comes to my mind when you say early on is about educating the public and educating families on what the warning signs are of when somebody in their family might start using methamphetamine. Yes, and you can hear the hesitation, but what you don't want to do is, is make families become detectives in their own home. Mm. The, the biggest preventive is, or one of the biggest preventives is, is living in a supportive, loving environment. And if you said to me, and I often get asked this, what are the symptoms of drug use amongst um, young people or the risks of drug use starting? Well, young people who don't do as they're told, who stay up late, don't get up in the morning, are grumpy in the morning when they do get up, don't do their homework when they should. Um, now, those are the symptoms sometimes of adolescence. So you've got to be careful that you don't create uh, this, this panic. But what you need to do is, is ensure, you know, families are often impacted by methamphetamine use in particular. 
Um, it's not just the consumer, it's, it's uh, their families and they're distressed. So if we see that families have a critical role in helping prevent and respond to drug use, then we need to help you know, families who are uh, good communication, um, understand what the risks are with drug use, um, are supportive, um, and, and recognizing that when families get into difficulty, we need to support them. That tells us it's not just telling mums and dads, go and search the bedroom to see if you find this, or if they're listening to this type of music, be suspicious. Um, what we need to do is say, look, here's some information that might be useful about alcohol and drug use. Here's some things that we can actually do. Here's how you can get support and recognize it as a community. If we see families getting into difficulty and they've got children, that's not just a risk for them then, it's a risk for the whole community. And the evidence tells us it's worth investing in strategies um, with vulnerable families because that helps prevent mental health problems, it helps prevent a whole range of other things, it helps people perform better at school, and it helps prevent drug use. So we've spoken about what kind of leads people down this path. What kind of options are there if they are there? There's some good evidence about what we can do. Importantly, um, some of that evidence tells us that um, people who are become dependent on methamphetamine, they're much harder to engage in treatment. And when they do come into treatment, it's much harder to keep them into treat in treatment. But the other evidence tells us that if we're successful at getting people into treatment and keeping them there, they do very well. So what we should be doing is ensuring that people have good access to treatment. We should be ensuring that we have out assertive outreach. You know, one of the problems we have is that often people get into difficulty at midnight on a Friday night when a lot of the services aren't available. So we need to ensure that people can quickly get into treatment services that we have skilled staff and there's been a strong investment in Western Australia and in other states to, to improve the, the quality and skills of the staff to deal with this, to engage with people, to retain them in treatment. And then what the evidence tells us is people affected by methamphetamine probably find it just as easy to give up as many people find to give up other drugs or just as hard is another way to put it, but they may find it harder to stay stopped. So that, what that tells us is we need longer-term connection with people, not just dealing with the drug issues and maybe some of the trauma if that's an issue, but also ensuring people get ready access to quality housing, family support, um, recreation, and job opportunities. Um, it's about building a high quality of life. Listen up. Tonight, covering the issue of ice use in our community. This is Listen Up with Pete Corelli and Tash Povey. This is Listen Up. Tash and Pete here. We're talking about methamphetamine use in WA and currently joined by Professor Daniel Fedovich. He's for, uh, the Professor of Emergency Medicine at Royal Perth Hospital and UWA. Thanks for coming in. My pleasure. You're here to deliver a perspective on, uh, on the metro area in regards to drugs and methamphetamine use from a health perspective. Uh, can you talk us through that? So I work in the emergency department and uh, we obviously see people who have been affected by using meth or ice. The most common scenario perhaps is a young male aged somewhere between 25 and 35 brought to the emergency department by the police in very highly agitated state, uh, often very aggressive, profound paranoia, psychosis, which means they're completely out of touch with reality. Um, and we require a, a team approach to deal with this. And I'd say the most important members of the team were actually the security staff who are very skilled at um, keeping things under control. You see those uh, those television ads, they come to mind straight away as soon as you talk about that. There's one in particular that talks about methamphetamine use where there is a guy in the emergency ward and he's going 
completely, uh, yeah, he's in psychosis and it takes half a dozen people to hold the guy down. Yes, look, that that's um, a pretty common number of people required. In fact, in, in one video that I've got, if you actually count the number of staff involved, it's a dozen people. Far out. So it does consume a lot of resources, time and resources. And it doesn't actually just stop there because we need to sedate them to get the situation under control for the safety of the patient and also for the safety of the staff and for the safety of the other patients. Um, and then because they're sedated, they need one-on-one -on -one nursing for quite a few hours, many hours, and then need to get reassessed when they wake up. In an average night, I mean, we're looking at summer now, so obviously there's more people sort of going out and, and are still off work. How many people would present, say on a Saturday night, in this kind of state? Um, let me just give you some background numbers before I try and give you a hard number on that. So when we first did our research 10 years ago, when, which was the last peak of meth use, about 1% of all ED presentations were related to meth, all right? We're now experiencing another peak of activity 10 years later, and our estimate is that it's about 3% now. So that means we're seeing, at, for example, at Royal Perth Emergency Department, half a dozen people every day uh, with this kind of problem. Um, I wouldn't, you've kind of said Saturday night, but in, the reality is we're seeing it every day. It doesn't really matter what it's, day yeah, of the week it day. is. Have you, how often would you see one person in particular, you know, returning on occasion? Um, so from our previous work 10 years ago, when we actually looked at that, I can give you a figure, 46% had come in before with a similar kind of problem. Mm -hmm. So close to half. What would you say are the effects on an average person after a night of meth or a day or whatever? Well, well, we know meth is a stimulant drug. So the effects on the body initially start out as it speeds everything up. So your heart beats faster, your blood pressure goes up. Um, people tend to feel very energetic and alive, almost Superman-like. This would be that state of euphoria that a lot of people talk about. That's, yeah, the buzz that they get from, from using. Um, but obviously that can progress into all the severe effects on the brain, the mental health effects. Uh, but in fact, using meth affects every organ system in the body. Uh, using amphetamines like meth is one of the commonest causes of stroke in young people. And one of the reasons for that, for example, is that obviously it puts your blood pressure up and uh, sometimes you know, blood vessels burst in the brain. So that's a brain bleed, that's a stroke. That's one of the commonest causes of stroke in young people. And by young, I'm meaning less than the age of 40. With things like alcohol and it's a huge stress on the liver and uh, smoking obviously with lungs and that kind of thing. Does meth age your body in the way that those drugs do? Well, that's a really good question. So um, obviously many people have seen those pictures comparing the face of somebody like before they started using meth and afterwards and yeah. they're, they're horribly aged on the outside. But all of our research is indicating that people are aging on the inside as well. And so that aging on the inside leads to, for example, brain changes, difficulties with brain functions such as thinking and memory. So these are long-term effects. So these are people who say, it's fine, I'll just come down. So if they're a fly and fly out worker, they just have one weekend to let off steam, go back up and they're totally fine. They're not. Are they? Well, I think they're mostly deluding themselves that it's sort of like that um, feeling of indestructibility of youth. You know, I'm okay. The laws of science will not apply to me, mm. but that's a sort of um, 
doesn't follow. Do you see uh, injuries on the outside of the body as well? You know, people might be coming in with broken bones, broken legs, broken arms because they've got that Superman feeling. They feel like they can do anything. Well, unfortunately, some of the worst things we see are the car crashes. People are using meth and they're traveling literally at high speed. And sometimes it kills either themselves or somebody else in the car or an innocent bystander. And obviously everything before that, including broken bones and severe internal injuries. I guess that's kind of a big thing as well, because people who are on meth think, well, you know, I'm not drunk, my, I'm not impaired, I'm, I'm sort of superhuman and I can see fast and everything's fine, my reflexes will be faster. It's not the case at all, is it? No, no, it's not the case at all. And, and the thinking isn't right and the judgments and the decision making are wrong. Coming up next, we're going to be joined by Carol Dawes from Sirenian House and Jim Migro from WA Police on Listen Up. Don't forget the hashtag Listen Up WA. This is Listen Up with Pete Corelli and Tash Povey. This is Listen Up. It's Tash Povey and Pete Corelli here. We're talking about methamphetamine use in WA and in particular at the moment, uh, we're going into the issues with accessing treatment in the metro area with Carol Dawes, who's the Chief Executive Officer of Sirenian House Alcohol and Other Drug Treatment Service. And also to get a metro police perspective, uh, we've got Jim Migro from WA Police here as well. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Um, how are we looking in regards to the metro area when it comes to this? Jim, we'll start with you. Yeah, uh, it is a significant issue in, in the metro area of WA like it is uh, across Australia. Uh, there are a lot of things being being done about it, uh, but the, the real big issues for us currently is that the amount that it is currently out on the streets, which then has an impact uh, upon uh, offences in relation to people breaking into houses, violence and those type of things. So there is the flow on effect of what is happening by people that are under the influence of meth. We are seeing, we hear about it so much, in particular over the last sort of 12 months, the spike in crime that's happening around the Perth metropolitan area. I mean, I'm from Seville Grove in Armadale and we get it all sorts. I, I, I spent a lot of time looking at the Facebook pages for Seville Grove and every single day there's two or three different posts about people saying they've been broken into. Is this a direct relation to drug use? Uh, th there is a relationship between uh, meth use and these. Uh, research actually shows that, that people that use meth are more inclined to commit robbery and uh, violent type offences and, and break in, so that area of property offence. Uh, and then also, when they are using meth, and the more they use it, uh, there's a propensity that they'll be 10 times more violent. We're also looking, I mean, just speaking about, it's not just property break-ins, but I mean, one of the most reported and the highest spike in crime in the metro area has been domestic violence as well, which is, it's awful to think about it's not people sort of going out on the rob and breaking into cars and stealing to support an addiction. It's people sort of committing these acts against loved ones and, and children and family members. Yeah, well, domestic violence, there is some correlation there. Uh, but of course, I, I would still say that the, the biggest issue with domestic violence is alcohol. You mentioned before, you know, they, they're cashed up. They want to let off some steam. I mean, when I want to let off, let off some steam, I go bowling. Right. You know, like it's, it's, and I'm not trying to make light of the situation, but it just, it says, it speaks volumes to me about how different my situation in life might be to somebody else's situation who may take the path of going down drugs. I mean, what, what are the differences in the situations there? I, you know, there's probably not as, as many differences as you think. I think, you know, there, you know, most workplaces would say, Hey, it's Friday afternoon. Let's go let off some steam and have a couple of drinks. Um, the difference is, is that the substance is a different substance. I mean, the impact, to be honest, is similar in some ways. People 
have a few drinks. And you notice that with your group of friends that have a few drinks, there are some that get out of hand and there are others that actually behave, you know, in a, in a manner that's acceptable. It's the same in drug use. There are people that use drugs who behave in a manner which is deemed to be acceptable to the people around them. And then there are others that actually lose the plot and, and don't cope. Jim, we often you we often hear uh, the term synthetic drug being thrown around. I mean, where does that come into in regards to methamphetamine use? Well, meth is synthetic, and that's what one of the biggest dangers is, is that people are buying meth and they don't really know what it's made from. Mm. You know, depending on where it's come, we know a lot is coming through from Asia, uh, and there could be anything in it. You know, people are really, you know, playing Russian roulette with using this type of substance because they just don't know what it is. Uh, and also, uh, if people then start cutting it to reduce the purity of it, you don't know what cutters people are going to put in it. You know, we've had in the past people using everything from Epsom salts through to Ratsack. Jesus. Okay. Uh, look, I hope that really says something to the people that are listening right now. You know, the term Russian roulette, it's a bullet in the gun. It's as simple as that. Uh, thank you very much for coming in here and having a chat to us about this. Thank you. Thank you.